You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, man. Please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill. This week, musicians sing a song of identical Desperado movies. <laughs> Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin and look out, man! I am Adam Thomas. <laughs> and I'm Thomas Mariani, and I'm surprised we got Johnny Bravo to do the intro of this episode. <laughs> I know! How I just called him, and he was like, I ain't doing nothing, man. I'm doing the monkey. I've been doing that for about 15 years since my show went. God damn, my shoulders are tired, man. <laughs> I mean, hey, good on him. <laughs> True, good on him. But welcome everybody to The Devil Edge Devil Bill, uh, where every week Adam and I uh, do a double feature. Uh, we talk about two movies, basically, uh, that relate to a general topic we decide on. Um, and we pick our movies at the end of every episode, so stay tuned to for the picking. We'll be doing for next week at the very end of this episode, but... In the meantime, man, we gotta talk about this week's movies, which, in honor of the Aretha Franklin movie starring Jennifer Hudson, Respect, coming out, we decided to do movies about musicians, which is interesting. It's a bit different from the musical genre we've done a few times before, in that there are movies about the actual people that make the music. And the funny thing is, which is insane to me, that we did movies about musicians, and they're both about fictional musicians. That's true, yeah, we didn't do any biopics. I think, to be fair, those movies are kind of very samey. Even, we've done a few, like we did, um, the What's Love Got to Do With It. Bohemian Rhapsody. And Bohemian Rhapsody, that's true. And even though those are both different movies and that one's good, and the other one is Bohemian Rhapsody, um, they both kind of follow a similar formula. I don't know if we would have had a lot to say about, I don't know, Walk the Line or Ray as much. And to be fair, for me at least, that genre's kind of been completely ruined by Walk Hard, so I don't know how much we would have to say about the traditional musical biopic, necessarily. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree, for sure. Yeah, even though one of our movies, I would argue, is kind of trying to sort of be that, as legally as they can. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, we'll have a lot to say about one of our movies, but I still think at the same time, doing a movie about musicians is still a fun idea, whether they are real musicians or not in a visual form i think you can make like the actual process of performing or writing or any of this other stuff music uh to be like massive and big and cinematic in, in the right hands uh no i i definitely agree obviously i'm not into musicals uh, as we've discussed on this show several several times but i am a huge huge music fan and there are certain movies that just really for me Mm, nummy 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 get my fill of the music and the movies at the same time and uh i don't want to know, watch one of those movies with you if you're going to make noises like nummy 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 <laughs> that's every movie i watch dude it's, it's a problem okay? that's we've done movie nights and that's a lot even when we watch like a really big like jack ryan shed recruit nummy 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 <laughs> nummy 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 gimme 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 oh i'm full <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, no, I definitely love music and I love movies and I love when they intersect, uh, except for fucking like typical Broadway musical type of idea. That's never been my thing. That's true. Even though the good musical you picked for one of our two musical episodes was one that was about like a musician performing songs and shit like that with Phantom of the Paradise. That's a great fucking movie. Yes, as we talked about previously, dig up the archives for that episode. But Adam, we're not talking about that movie. We're talking about two very odd versions of uh, movies about musicians uh for uh those of you who might not be aware um on our patreon patreon.com slash gedb pod people for just one dollar a month get to do stuff like vote on polls for uh t- particular movies we do and topics we do and uh, they end up picking the good pick for this episode from adam's choices which end up being desperado from 1995 and then the bad pick was one i chose and uh it will have a lot to say about the identical from 2014 oh boy there's a lot to say. I mean, I, I uh, yeah, all right. Yeah, we got a lot. <laughs> we'll get to it. But first, let's get into our good feature, Desperado. I was visiting a bar, and in he walked. They called him a loner. I know who you are. Really? You kill drug dealers. They killed the woman I loved. You ruined my life. They called him a miss. You've heard stories of that man that carries a guitar case full of weapons. Find him and kill him. They made the mistake of calling his bluff. Is there something in the guitar case? A guitar? Now, it's time to face the music. Let's play. Desperado, the new film from Robert Rodriguez. Desperado came out August 25th, 1995, uh, from director-writer Robert Rodriguez, who we somehow, in nearly 170 episodes of the show, have never talked about Robert Rodriguez's movie, which surprises me. That's kind of wild. Yeah, our mutual taste in films. We've talked about Quentin Tarantino or Kevin Smith, other people of, like, that 90s new indie wave but Mm. robert rodriguez is like the third pillar of that i would argue and he's had a very fascinating career adam this was your pick are you generally a fan of rodriguez's films though i'm a fan of some of robert rodriguez's films other ones i i I am not but i do like sort of robert rodriguez's uh aesthetic that he chooses to put in most of his movies be it the the latino aspect or the hypersexualized violence or even the soundtrack and score that he uses sometimes, uh, which a lot of it he does himself. Um, well, I mean, and specifically the Mexican aesthetic. Yes, yes. So I'm a fan of his as an artist and an auteur, but not necessarily of all of his work. Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting because uh, this is his second feature, Desperado, which acts as a sequel to his debut, El Mariachi, which... Wouldn't you call it sort of a soft reboot as well? So. I mean, I the thing is, it's interesting. I had not seen El Mariachi until doing prep for this episode. Mm-hmm. That was one of the ones I had not seen. And El Mariachi was a big debut for him because the big story around it was the fact that he made it for $7,000 and it debuted at Sundance. Everyone was amazed. Like, you made this movie on just $7,000? And to be fair, that is an achievement considering, like, it is a solid little indie movie that for $7,000 he got every single penny on the screen. Oh, yeah. Definitely. 
Uh, I always attribute Desperado to El Mariachi like I would do Evil Dead 2 to Evil Dead. Where it's technically a sequel, but it's almost like a loose reboot as well. I would have thought that that was my assumption going into it, but I think with an El Mariachi, he it's a very different character in the way that, like, I guess with Ash in the Evil Dead movies, like, he is so much more square and a nerd in the first movie, and then by the second movie, he is kind of progressing to that point, as opposed to with El Mariachi, he is this guy who has mistaken identity. He has his guitar case, which is initially with his guitar, but it gets misplaced and he gets the huge thing of guns, but he's not a badass. He's not a sense. And the movies is basically his journey to becoming that kind of badass by the end of it. And I think this movie progresses further because they, they even recreate like the one ending shot, like sequence yeah. of El Mariachi as a flashback. Uh, but at the same time, I would argue that the character that was, uh, let's play by Antonio Banderas here to the guy from the first book who's in this movie as well. Uh, Carlos Giardo um, are very different characters. But, but, but then couldn't you say that about, I mean, obviously it's the same actor, but Ash from evil dead one to Ash, the evil dead two is completely different character. Ash from evil dead two is still kind of like, he's growing to become the guy in army of darkness. I would argue that evil dead two is more of a bridge between the two movies well, okay. and like that version of the character, as opposed to the hard turn of like him getting shot in the hand at the end of El Mariachi to him in this movie. Very different people. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. I'll give you that. Um, but obviously Desperado was his follow-up after he made such a splash with that. Um, though to be fair, in between he did do a TV movie for Showtime called Road Racers, which was his first collaboration with Salma Hayek. Uh, it was like a fifties greaser movie starring David Arquette. That I recently saw. Actually pretty fun. Would recommend that if yeah, you can find bad. it. Yeah. yeah um, but um, then he does Desperado, which is his uh, a much bigger budget given it is $7 million as opposed to 7000 Literally like a significant multiplier on that budget. Um, but also yep. made $25 million and was sort of like him cementing himself as a bigger kind of like indie presence that would progress from here. And I would personally argue, uh, despite being an early film from him, I would say Desperado is his best. Would you agree? hundred percent. Granted, it fits perfectly for the time it came out. Like this is a late nineties, you know, mid to late nineties action movie. It's so well done. The, the, the action uh, sort of cinematography alone is almost breathtaking and it's just populated with just really fun characters. And it is also oozing sex appeal. This movie. Are you saying Antonio Banderas and Selma Hayek are very attractive people, and it's really hot to see them collaborate together in this movie? Doc, this movie is one of the sexiest movies that exists. I mean, it, I mean, when I was a kid and I saw it, I was like, what am I feeling, and why am I feeling it for both of them? <laughs> um, it, it's just, yeah, no, this movie is just, it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. This is the better Grindhouse movie. That Robert Rodriguez tried to make later. This feels like that type of movie. Right. And I think the big thing is why I would say of Rodriguez's movies, I tend to like a lot of the earlier ones more is because he has that limitation of shooting on film and not having a green screen. Like I think what really hurt him so much was watching attack of the clones and saying, Oh, I can shoot on digital. And so he made a couple of really good movies with it. Like Elite battle angel, or especially sin city. I oh, think yeah, like some of his better movies, but still he had so much more of a better track record when he had the limitation of you are on film. You can't like do whatever the fuck you want in the background. Just shoot somebody on a green screen. You have to actually try and do your zany wacky ideas 
in camera and shit like that for the most part. And I think he does a stellar job with that here. I think the perfect example is watch the third one where there's a lot of digital shit in it. And, you know, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, it does have some fun bits to it, but it is a pale comparison to Desperado. Right. And I think that movie makes the fatal mistake of, like, I think being more of an Evil Dead 2 kind of thing, but for the other two movies, where it just kind of cannibalizes elements of both El Mariachi and Desperado and just Mm -hmm. puts them with a couple new things. But also, I agree, that movie from shot to shot looks either like, oh, this is a cool badass thing, or this is Johnny Depp walking around in the kitchen and it looks like it's shot on a DV cam. It's fucking terrible. (laughs) I I completely agree. And Willem Dafoe, good fucking God. Who left uh, that man inside that tanning booth? Good Lord. (laughs) But, um... No, Desperado, the thing about it is that that really works. Like I said, of course, it's sexy because, of course, you got Antonio Banderas and Selma Hayek, who are just two of the most beautiful people who ever lived. But, like I said, there's also great action. There's great characters. And there's a lot of funny bits to it as well. Uh, It's just kind of an all-encompassing action movie. Like I'd argue most of it, if not all of it, kind of works. You mentioned the Grindhouse thing him and Quentin Tarantino really wear their influences on their sleeves. But this is an example where I think he obviously is trying to do like a neo-Western that's partially inspired by so many different sure. things. Uh, but at the same time, they he manages to like really meld all of his influences into a story that feels original, but also feels very distinctively his own. Like the opening of this movie where Steve Buscemi walks to that bar and tells that story is such a fucking stellar way of establishing the myth of El Mariachi in this movie and really going into like how much of a badass Antonio Banderas is. And even just the way Buscemi is describing him while they're also visually showing it, particularly just the, um, you saw his face. No, his eyes, his eyes pierced me. That is the moment where I think Antonio Banderas had been around obviously for a while and had done like Pedro Moldovar movies in the eighties and stuff. That's the moment where I'm like, that motherfucker is a movie star. That yep. whole bit. <laughs> I completely agree. And, and like you said, just the over-exaggeration of him. Like, in walks the biggest fucking guy you've ever seen. And it's literally Antonio Banderas, you know what I mean? But, it, it, yeah, it just works perfectly. And the way, because he's telling the story and how over-exaggerated it is, where he's shooting guys and they're flying through the air and everything. What a cool way to do it. But then when they introduce the actual character and they do that musical scene. Yes. It's brilliant. And it's so good. And that song fucking slaps. And he uses his guitar as an actual weapon. Yes, it's amazing. And the way that the, the, when they're all walking towards the fucking screen, just playing the shit out of the song, and then Desperado flashes on the screen. You're like, this is fucking awesome. Yeah, I think a big part of it also is the fact that not only is this movie very hot in a sexual way, but also this movie feels like you're in the sweltering heat of Mexico the whole time. Everybody is so sweaty and, <laughs> yep. and just miserable. Everybody. <laughs> that fucking bar that Cheech Marin runs is the most gross hot bar I've ever seen in a movie. You know, can I, it's piss warm chongo. So they're giving him just warm beer. Uh, particularly when he, yeah. ru- when that group of Karens walks out of the fucking yes. bar, <laughs> it's such a stellar yeah. bit. Just like our waiter did not attend to us whatsoever. It's just like, why don't you fucking leave? You shouldn't come here. <laughs> can I get a cleaner mug? Fuck you, man. It's the cleanest mug I got. <laughs> or him and uh, Tito Lariva, who was also the, yes. like the band leader in from Dust Till Dawn. Especially the bit where they talk about like our beer tasted like piss. We pissed in it. That's why. Yeah. Piss in it. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and it has Danny Trejo been scarier in a movie. 
dude, the way he's just, like, in the background before he's even, like, majorly introduced, just flipping his fucking, like, little uh-huh. blades and stuff like that, oh, so man. good. Oh, dude, he's terrifying. Yeah. Like, this is, and he looks great. Like, he's still, like, in really good physical condition. And he's just, he's so awesome. And this I is fucking... his first big major acting role, right? He'd been in other movies before this, but this is, like, yeah, his big spotlight been, yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Like, he's been around, you know, since, like, the late 80s, early 90s. Like, he did a couple, like, boxing movies and stuff like that. But I, I want to say this was his first, like, major look-at-this-fucking-guy sort of role. Yeah, because he's mostly been, like, sort of prisoners and conflicts in the background. Like, this is the yeah. same year he's in Heat, for example. <laughs> yes, which is insane. What yeah. do you think about it? What a year. Holy hell. I know. It, it was really what kind of kicked him off, I think. What's so great also is the fact that, like, every character feels distinctive, even the minor ones. Like, even, of course, we might as well bring this up now. Quentin Tarantino shows up, of course, because Robert Rodriguez movie from this period, and he has to do his acting bit. But I like the fact that the movie is so fervently on the side of, this guy's an annoying, pissant piece of shit. And oh, yeah. And to fucking die so quickly. That fucking joke he tells, though, where he just thinks it's the funniest thing, and everyone's like, fuck you, man. <laughs> yeah, I wonder Absolutely. if that required much acting from Quentin Tarantino that he thought its joke was very, very funny. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah, no, I mean that's method acting. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, hundred percent. But yeah, everybody's good in this dude. Even uh, and forgive me, I can't think of his name, but we just saw him in fucking Clear and Present Danger and in Fast Five. Uh, the one who plays Bucho, right? Uh, Joaquin uh, de Almeida. Yeah, he's really good in it. Um, I love his right-hand man. He's like, take my car. That's what I bought it for. He was making him drive that fucking car. <laughs> like, it's just... his, big, his big bit where he blows the bed, just like, why is the fucking phone number in my car? <laughs> One of the few things I have kind of issue with in the movie is I think it has, like, so many great stellar action beats. And then I think his whole death is kind of like a weird, not wet fart, but just like a weird anti-climax to end the movie on. Where it ends on the the sort of fade away. I mean, where he he gets shot and then it fades out, and it just feels kind of like, oh, are we? Is that it? And then he's in cuts to like him at the hospital with the kid. Obviously, there's a reason behind it. Obviously, the MPAA came after them pretty hard for right. it because it's it's supposed to be, from what I understand, it was really brutally violent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was Rodriguez's decision. Like, well, then we'll just fade to black on it. And now I don't hate it, but when I was a kid, I, I do feel like I sort of got slighted and uh, ripped off a little bit. But still, I get it. I, it, it, it. It's fine. Though at the same time, the climax of this movie is great, where you do get the original El Mariachi um, coming in with the, the, the guitar cases that are guns. I think that's the thing, is all these action beats are very much like, oh, you can see the influence of like Sergio Leone or even like uh, John Woo around this time. You can see where he's pulling from in terms of his influence, but at the same time, it feels so distinctly weird and Rodriguez-y in terms of, like we mentioned, the sweltering heat, the way that it's also distinct of, like, the the Mexican garb and how it is mostly, like, a Mexican cast, honestly, aside from Buscemi and Tarantino. <laughs> it's mostly, like, a lot of um, Latina and Latino characters um, of various different stripes, mostly Mexican, but uh, at, at the same time, like, it feels... So much like this is a distinctive stew that I don't think he ever quite achieves again. Uh, no, I definitely agree. I think he's tried several times, uh, but I, I think this was just perfect lightning in a bottle. Yeah, and it was also interesting because my history with this movie is weird because we're coming from different angles on this, where I assume you saw this probably around more of the time it came out. Uh, yeah, like, 
literally when it came out on home video. Yeah. Right. As opposed to me, my history with Rodriguez is I was introduced to him through the Spy Kids movies. Those were big movies when I was a kid. And I was just instantly like, oh, I love these movies. These are so fun. I wonder what else is, when I started getting into movies more, like, about directors and stuff, oh, what else has this guy done? And I would watch the, like, Desperado from Dust Till Dawn, all those earlier movies. And I, I think what really sticks out is the fact that even in some, like, at least the original Spy Kids, there's a lot of creative ingenuity and a lot of fun that he has in a way that Tarantino doesn't quite have, like, around the same time as, like, Pulp Fiction and stuff like that, as opposed to, like, with... Robert Rodriguez, he has a bit more of like a cartoonish spirit to him. Like the whole sequence in the the bar shootout that happens at Cheech Marin's bar has so many cartoony bits that work perfectly. Like the one guy getting shot by Antonio Banderas and he like flies off. Um, or the one guy who gets like that, the ceiling fan hit on him and then it cuts to his, his body like getting hit by the propellers. And she's like, there's a lot of goofiness that's there. But at the same time, you never think like, oh, we're losing any kind of steam or badassery from Banderas, who is... So fucking great, and especially the earlier point in that where he doesn't want to have anything happen. Like, whoa, 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 I'm not trying to fuck with anybody. He does that so perfectly throughout that whole scene. Like, whoa, I don't want to kill anybody here. I will, because uh-huh. I'm fucking El Mariachi, but I don't want to do that right here. Let's be cool. And he kills everyone. Yep. And uh, I love the way, like, even the simple idea where he's shooting his guns, he's almost like whipping them when he's shooting them. Like, just, just they gave this character... Uh, just such a definable even gunplay that he uses. It's not like anybody you've ever seen in a movie. It, it's so almost musical in the way that he does it, the way he, when he lays down, the way he cocks his legs, like almost like a bullfighter and the way he cocks the guns and puts the new magazines in the way, even like the guns come out of his sleeve. Yeah. And it's, it's such a really cool and inventive way to round out a character. Yeah, like, I'm sure that was probably in some movie before this. Banderas wields that kind of energy in a way that few other stars were able to. Even, like, any sort of Western star you can think of does not have the same kind of, like, both mix of charisma, but at the same time intimidation that Banderas has. Like, he can be so warm and genteel, but also he can have, like, such a fierce stare at you. Like, when Banderas stares at you with his fucking brow, when he is pissed off at you, you know and you're upset. Just like, oh, no. (laughs) What am oh, I doing? Why did I do this? You see him immediately fall for Selma Hayek the moment they're like walking down that street together before he kills Tito Leverier. Um, is such a phenomenal moment. The way that they lock eyes with each other, and then how it's followed up with like the whole meet cute thing of like, oh, I'm pulling a bullet out of your arm, and this is fun. In other hands, even Rodriguez has tried that other times and it's failed spectacularly. After this point, it is so genuine and heartwarming to like see that moment just like oh i want to see these two really hot people fuck after this and they give you that which is arguably a very odd sex scene it's an incredibly weird sex scene especially the way that like they 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 kiss in like a 69 position basically yeah it's very weird and like it's different (laughs) big thing that i think differentiates this from like an el mariachi is that i think selma hayek is also very capable at the same time that like in el mariachi the female love interest isn't as like, willing to, like, participate in shootouts and stuff like that. She feels a bit more damsel in distress-ish. Versus Selma Hayek does not have any distress. She has lived in this town for a while, and you can tell she is willing to fuck people up with the way that she picks up a gun uh, when things get really to shit. Oh, no, yeah, she's down to fucking clown, dude. She, she's she's ready to shoot all these motherfuckers. Uh, for sure. She's so tired of the corruption and bullshit in this town and what she's had to do. 
either with Bucho or for Bucho. Like, she's over it, man. Which is why another big thing I hate about Once Upon a Time in Mexico is how they just do her so dirty. Or, like, being the, like... Just having her become that role from the original movie, just like, oh, she ends up dying and motivating fucking El Mariachi. Just like, no! They were fucking so great together. I wouldn't see them be hot and fucking shoot people ten years later. This is bullshit, Robert. Yeah, I completely agree. I I don't give a shit about Eva Mendez and Johnny Depp. Let me give me more Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek. Fuck yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, that's. I think. What else do you think is like really missing from his later movies that is like done so spectacularly here that we maybe haven't mentioned? Limitations, like you said, seven million dollars is not a huge budget, man. And like we said, we you go with the third one where he had a bigger budget and everything, and, and look at it. You know, it, it's the problem is, you know, his really good ones like Sin City, especially, it's not his source material. I think Robert Rodriguez ha- is a really smart guy and can write cool stories, but I think Robert Rodriguez needs sort of a hindrance to overcome to really put his magic on the screen. I think when he's sort of left unchecked or unfiltered, it, it's sort of like getting all the cake and eating it too it just feels like no restraint and um i i'd argue that never really works in movies no or even have just a solid collaborator like even from dust till dawn i have some problems with i rewatched that recently like him with the tarantino script i think it's still a solid combination and there's still a lot of like fun words like him experiment with okay i can't just use my own words or just do whatever the fuck i want on a green screen or even later on when he does able to use like cg in a green screen but he has the guiding hand of like a james cameron with battle angel alita like i think he collaborates so wonderfully uh but when he does his own sort of like i am completely writing this on my own there's no like or Frank Miller source material influence or other things. It's so much more just like, hey, let's just have fun on the green screen. We'll do whatever and we'll just fix it in post. Like that sinks so many of his other movies. Like the later Spy Kids sequels I mean, or yeah. the Sin City sequel. His kids' movies have that huge problem where he feels like, this is just fucking home movies, dude. <laughs> what the fuck is this? To the point to where I remember watching the um, special features for once upon a time in Mexico. And he's like, yeah, we just used rubber guns. Cause I knew I could use muzzle flashes in post-production. Like why, why do that? Like, it's just, like I said, it just feels like when he's given free reign to sort of do what he wants by himself, it, it just never really gels. Yeah. It, it rarely does. I think him having sort of troublemaker studios, it also probably doesn't help that he's not union. So he doesn't have to even answer to that element of it. Um, I don't know. There, there's there's a lot there, but with Desperado, yeah, it, it is such a great example of like being able to use the limitations of the time and the technology and all this other stuff so effectively to where mm-hmm. his style works so much more under constraint with like any of those elements that uh, Desperado is the perfect distillation of all that. The various different influences, perfect use of stars. Like really, this is such a stellar example of like, hey, I want to make an actor who's probably worked a bit or hasn't worked that much a star. This is star-making turns for both Salma Hayek and Antonio Banderas. Just the moment you see these dudes, just like, I want to see them in all the movies being the best people possible. The prettiest, most badass people of all time. Yes, I, I agree 100%. I, I think Interview with the Vampire sort of put Antonio Banderas on people's radar, but this was the star-making vehicle for him. And this is also... Yeah, the, the movie that, as far as sort of the Western audience knows, that this is where Sama Hayek's from. And I mean, I think that's a pretty good signal to start doing some final thoughts. If you have anything to add about Desperado, Adam. 
All I can say is when this movie came out, man, it, when I first saw it, I would have told you it was my favorite movie I've ever seen when it came out. And uh, it, it genuinely was when I saw it. it. It was perfect. I was a teenage boy, like action, sexy people, just great music. Just everything about this worked. Um, I think it still works as my favorite movie now. No, well, fuck no. I've gotten older. But I still think it's super, super fun, dude. And this is easily Rodriguez is the best. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing is when I saw this, at least initially when I was in high school, I still did really like it. I think I responded more a bit to From Dust Till Dawn just because of like, oh, that's such a sick, sick twist and turn and all this other stuff. But I think what both of those movies have and what a lot of the early Rodriguez movies have is just this ability to really embrace their limitations, but at the same time, just go balls out in a way that really respects the people on screen. Like, like I said, every role feels distinctive and notable to some degree, whether it is Steve Buscemi or Danny Trejo or our stars. Um, you, you really get a sense of like, there is a whole world being like really established you in Desperado. It's, it's so interesting just watching like the, the Mexico trilogy of sorts. That is El Mariachi Desperado and once upon a time in Mexico is a great distillation of his entire career which is like starting on such a rebellious note with no money whatsoever to having a bit of money, but still limitations at the same time in Desperado and then getting to Once Upon a Time in Mexico, which feels just like him at a full excess point, really the point of not much return. I think that that trilogy is worth watching, if nothing else, to really explain to somebody like, hey, I haven't watched a lot of Robert Rodriguez movies. What's he like? This trilogy really explains it. But this one in particular, Desperado, I agree, is such a great middle ground of like what made his rebellious status work so well and then what would ultimately make his later movies feel so lacking when he dropped a lot of these elements. It's a, it's a pretty stellar movie. And if you haven't seen it, um, go ahead. It's one of the better ones of like the 90s, especially other neo-westerns of this time don't really work. Like watching this, it reminded me so much of like, oh yeah, this is why something like Six String Samurai fails. Yes. Very, very so hard. Very bad movie. I don't get why it had a cult following. It's fucking dumb. I don't either. Yeah, I don't it's trying so fucking hard. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, we have a whole other movie that's also trying very hard to talk about in a moment. Though first, here's a promo for an ESO show you can queue up right after ours. Hello there. I can see you have great taste in podcasts. Keep your discerning streak going with the Soul Forge podcast. No topic is off limits on the Soul Forge. We talk about life, toys, dating, geekiness, love, nerdiness, sex and dating, TV, movies, and just about anything you can think of. Check out the Soul Forge podcast, soulforgepodcast.com, and wherever you find your podcasts. We're everywhere. And now let's get into our second feature, The Identical. Who is this? Anybody ever tell you you look just like Drexel Hemsley? Are you guys related or something? No, not related. You're the girl for me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan, you're about as close to the real thing as I've ever seen. Ladies and gentlemen, you're identical! I think this boy's a star. I signed Ryan Wade, the identical. Just want to work some of my songs. Nobody wants to hear your song. You're a pretender, buddy. You are nothing. It's not about the money. I'm tired of being somebody I'm not. There's something about you. So the identical came out September 5th, 2014. 
Um, and is a very interesting movie you probably don't know about if you're listening, audience members. No boy. Do we have a tale to tell you of the identical? Um, this is a movie that I'd heard about from a few different sources. Like when this came out in 2014, I'd heard from like sites that basically cover like box office stuff. Which is like, oh, this random movie came out on September 5th, 2014 that nobody's fucking heard about. And then also shout out to Scott Johnson, friend of the show, also told me a bit more about this movie. I'm just like, this this is real? And having now seen it for the first time, and I think you can agree with me, um, this is real? I... <laughs> yeah, yeah. This I came mean, out in exists. theaters and was, attempt- I... like, <laughs> was attempted to be sold to... At least a certain niche audience, because um, sure. Well, let's let's just get that out of the way. It, it yeah. is a Christian studio produced film. Yes, uh, the production company is specifically a City of Peace films. Now, I know that might turn a lot of people off when they think of you know sort of Christian produced films or music and things like that. I will say this is probably the loosest christian produced thing i've ever seen yeah but especially considering around 2014 there were a lot of like small christian film studios that were making movies this is the height of kirk cameron making his fucking quite frankly propaganda yes correct right but this one it does have a lot to do with christianity but it really doesn't too like the fact that you know the main characters adopted parents are one's a preacher it doesn't how do I put this? There's not a lot of come to Jesus moments in this movie. That's the thing is if you ever see one of these Christian movies, you can distinctly tell like, Oh, they are perfectly aiming at their niche audience. It's just like, there's a big, like sort of like come to Jesus moment. As you're mentioning the fascinating thing about the identical is it's produced by one of those companies, but is so incompetent and even appealing to that audience. Aren't going to ask for a lot necessarily. And they even can't uh, appeal to that audience. <laughs> no, that's accurate. I, I just never, you know, the thing is, oh, God. And there's a, okay. All I, right. we, need to, we need to establish what this movie is, Adam. All Let's right, do that right, first. Right. Let's get that out of the way. Brief you plots want to do that or you want me to? You go I'll ahead. do it because I tasked you to watch this. This is my bad pick, so I might Fuck. as well. So, the identical starts off in the Great Depression era. And we see a young couple get off a train. And as is narrated to us, um, we've discovered this is a couple who the the woman is pregnant and the husband is not able to get work. And they're in dire straits and they're in the middle of Tennessee. So while the husband is like desperate, like, oh, my God, I can't get work. And we have a baby along the way. Turns out it ends up being twins. He discovers a preacher at a preacher tent played by Ray Liotta. Yep. I think of Henry Hill. And I'm like, well. He should just be a preacher. Yes, of course. Especially a Southern preacher with that thick, authentic accent. <laughs> yes. Um, he discovers this preacher and is like, you know what? They are apparently having trouble. Him and his wife, Ashley Judd, are having trouble conceiving. So um, when it's discovered that this young couple has had twins and they can't really raise both babies together, they say, you know what? We, we can't really raise them both together, so let's give one of these kids to this couple who is in desperate want of a child. And so um, the one baby ends up growing to be Ryan Wade, uh, who is this guy that looks familiar, if you're maybe aware of um, pop R&B sort of music of the 50s. 
uh, you know, he's got, like, jet black hair, and he talks in a specific accent like this. Talks like this, man. Hey, look out, man. He he sounds very familiar to to maybe a very famous artist from around that time. And uh, Ryan's just like, I really want to do music with my daddy. He just wants me to be a preacher. But I don't hear the call. I hear the call on the music. But I'm going to join the army. He'll join the army and become a car mechanic and some other things along the way and end up finding the love of his life. But while this is going on in the background, there's an artist who starts releasing music that is like shaking up all of the you know music industry. It's just like, oh my God, it's, he sounds like one of these black artists, and, but he's this like very pristine white boy who does a lot of hip shaking. Wearing full black leather outfits. Full black leather outfits, right. And this is a weird simultaneous thing going on. And that guy looks suspiciously a lot like Ryan for some reason. This guy, Dexter Hemsley, is his Drexel. name. Drexel. Drexel Hemsley, yes. Dexter is the real name of Ryan Wade. As it turns out, yeah. this person is Ryan's long-lost twin brother. Um, but that's not even going to matter that much to Ryan because they don't really yeah. ever meet in this movie <laughs> as well. In case you couldn't tell, okay, dropping off facades, it's an Elvis parable is what it's trying to be. A like, thousand percent. To the point where the guy who plays both these roles, Blake Rain, is an actual Elvis impersonator. That's why he was hired. And um, if you thought that sounded weird, guys, you don't know. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. You have no idea. Like it... Okay, so Ray Oda as a Southern preacher. Right. Weird. Ashley Judd is the mom. Okay, it's Ashley Judd. Uh, she's Southern. Okay. Joe Pantoliano is a Southern mechanic. Wait, wait, what? A Southern mechanic Seth- who's Jewish, but yep. also is just like, ignore the cowboy accent. Talking yep. exactly like Joe Pantoliano. <laughs> Seth Green is a Southern burnout drummer. I mean, clearly. <laughs> what in the fuck is this movie? And... It is an Elvis parable, right? Yes. These are the worst songs I've ever. <laughs> All of them are so out of time and just sloppily written and horribly performed in the movie. And um, I won't hear you besmirch Boogie Woogie Rock and Roll. Okay, that's a bop. All the kids love it. I, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. How, how dare I? Or... New city lights and bring it home. <laughs> like, what Honestly, the fuck? The, the way I describe this, weirdly, Adam and I, despite now watching this together as a movie night thing, we're watching this simultaneously, unintentionally. Almost. Oh, I, I, I gotta say, we were about three minutes apart. <laughs> and we were messaging each other back and forth. And the way I describe this movie is, it feels like a movie that was designed to be an Elvis biopic. And, like, throughout pre-production, like, yep, we're going to make an Elvis movie, we're going to have Jailhouse House Rock, all the big things. And then, because they're such an inept studio, they didn't realize until before they were about to shoot. Oh, we got to pay for this. Right, we have to get, like, the permission of the estate and pay for all the song rights. We don't have the money for that, so let's hastily rewrite this to be a weird twin back-and-forth fable. And it feels like the movie was so hastily put together under that strain. Hey, that's... Fucking Grip likes music. Let's have him write the songs. Oh, good Lord. It feels like that. It, it's just a, a movie you're watching, and it's not quite like a funny bad movie. It's not quite that. No, it's not, dude. And that's the thing. I've seen this movie pop on lists. Right. Like, if you guys like The Room and you like this, then you got to see the identical. It's the Part of the reasoning I picked it was because I'd heard that sort of reputation of it. No, it's not that. It's not that. No, but I will say, I think it fits more in the sure. camp, what we love talking about, of the train wreck bad movies, where they're not consistently funny watching them, 
but you are constantly fascinated as to why. I mean, 100%. Why, why is this a thing? <laughs> the cinematography is disgusting. It, it, I mean, it, this movie is ugly as fuck looking. Ray Liotta, I, to give him credit, he's trying in a couple scenes with crying and stuff. Nah. Well, I mean, Ray Liotta already has the massive problem of having to interact with Blake Rain as his son, uh, the Ryan White character, and also as Drexel Hemsley. Despite being tasked to play two roles, cannot do it whatsoever. He's so stiff and sterile and dumb, even though, on paper, I get it for this movie because he is an Elvis impersonator, and he does a pretty great job of least looking like Elvis. He looks a lot like him. No, 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 no. No. He does not look like Elvis a lot. He looks like Elvis in the fact that he has blue eyes and dyes his hair black. That's why he looks like Elvis. And he can kind of sound like him. I would No, uh, that's where I'll disagree with you. I think he looks a lot like at least a sort of caricature of Elvis. Okay, I'll give you that. Like right. if you had your fucking character drawn at King's Island or something. Yes, exactly, right. He looks like, in a way where, like, I can believe why he would be at least, like, a successful Elvis impersonator, as much of an oxymoron as that is. Um, I get that element of it. I believe that women would see him, or anybody in this movie would see him, and be like, ooh! Especially when he's supposed to be 17 at the oh. Honky Tonk. And that motherfucker's clearly 40. <laughs> oh, God, without a doubt. Clearly. Like, it makes Dennis Quaid in Great Balls of Fire look authentic by comparison. <laughs> put a pin in that. Um, <laughs> who put these wigs at these guys? And was like, yeah, we'll go with that. It's the worst wig jobs and facial hair jobs I've seen in the last 10 years. Particularly, like, 60s psychedelic era Seth Green. Oh, no, particularly <laughs> fucking Ryan Wade on his fucking Easy Rider moment. <laughs> How his hair mutates from, like, he looks like Elvis in one scene, then it turns into, like, a weird, um, almost bowl Beatles cut. Like right, a Beatles cut. Right, like a Beatles cut at a certain point, and then he's got, like, the long, scraggly hair. He goes to, like, all the different versions of Elvis, but, like, over the span of, like, 15 minutes at a certain point. <laughs> Yep. Like, wait, how'd you turn from the regular, like, the young, hot Elvis to the weird, like, bloated Elvis of the late 70s in, like, 15 and, minutes? And I, I mean, clearly he was right, but fake Lyle Lovett signs him as his manager. <laughs> and then, <laughs> like, he's making th hundreds of thousands of dollars as an Elvis impersonator. Well, well wait, no. Not as an Elvis impersonator. As Drexel Helmsley impersonator. Drexel yes. the Dream Helmsley. Right, because that's very important where, despite the fact that we keep mentioning Elvis parables, like, there's so many, like, clear lines. Like, the C character is introduced being influenced by music by going to a bar that's mostly full of, like, black people in an auto shop. And it's just like, oh, these people dance really well and I love their music. Oh, I uh, love this music. <laughs> right. Like, it's so very clear. Like, and all the different things. Like, oh, it's Elvis, clearly Elvis. And then the Lyle Lovett character you're mentioning, his manager, when he says, like, you know what, I'm going to quit being an extremely successful imitator of a very successful artist. And I'm yeah. going to leave. It's just like, fine, well, guess what? There's only one Elvis. And the entire fucking logic of the movie breaks apart. Completely. <laughs> Wait a minute. So there is an Elvis? These guys would have been sued out of their shitty wigs. Instantly. Who the fuck? What the fuck are we... What? An artist... As very publicly protective of his image as Elvis would have immediately made sure these people never made any money again. <laughs> Ever. What? <laughs> it's just... 
a whole lot of what in this movie. Like I, 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 I was watching this, and I got to be honest, as as enraged as I was about like Oogie Loves and Country Bears and everything, I never found myself enraged by this movie. I find myself constantly perplexed. Yes, a hundred percent. Perplexing is the best adjective for this movie. Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Who the fuck green? They thought. Wait a minute. Why did Ray Liotta sign this? What the? Who? Why is Ray Liotta a producer on this movie? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know. So they get to the point where Riot, aka Dexter finds out that uh, Drexel's mother, which is, happens to be his real mother, is in a hospital where his love-lost sort of girlfriend is. As a uh, nurse, right? By the way, the, the mother played by Amanda Crew, who was 28 at the time of filming, and clearly shows with the poor oh, AJ makeup. She's 28 still in that bed when she's dying. And she's still 28. No, what are you talking about? She has some wrinkles and her hair is vaguely gray. That means she's totally like 65 or whatever. <laughs> Dude, it looks like they put shitty, like, you know, when you go buy makeup at, like, a CVS for, like, pirate man makeup? <laughs> you just draw black circles under your eyes? That's what they did to her. I thought it was very rude when she died and said, Yar. <laughs> she was passing. <laughs> <laughs> or even, like, the, the other age makeup thing, where, like, between Ray Liotta and Ashley Judd. Ray Liotta looks like he's 90. Ashley Judd has glasses. <laughs> no, to be fair, she also has like her hair is slightly more in like a bouffant of sorts. It's like, oh, oh it's like old lady here now. Clearly, they're the, she's the same age as fucking crypt keeper Ray Liotta over here. Yep, and she has one gray streak in her hair. Yep, totally <laughs> same age. I'm sorry, daddy. She, daddy, I'm she, sorry. She looks younger than her son in the scene uh, with her at the I, fucking I, dinner I, table. hundred percent. A hundred ten percent. And then. They get a completely different actor for some reason to play the dad, the real dad when he meets him. And you're like, why? Why would you even do this? Just get that actor again. You've already done it with all the other actors. Right, give him cataracts, contacts, and a gray wig, and it's just like, no, no perfect. Don't. This movie. <laughs> fuck. I, I just. Fuck. Adam, we haven't even talked about. Speaking to the religious angle of this movie, the weird pro-Israel interlude that happens in the middle of this movie? Yeah, what the fuck is that? So, no, I want to firmly tell everyone what fucking happens in this. So, in the middle of the movie, in, like, at the point where, like, uh, Ryan Wade is, like, a car mechanic, and he's separated a bit from his father, who he left, like, the priesthood for, there's a bit where Joe Pantliano is suddenly watching TV and it's talking about the Six-Day War. Um, And then it cuts to fucking Ray Liotta at his sermon, sure. his Christian sermon, talking Light. about the the Israel thing, lighting a menorah, and talking about just like, why am I praying about Israel in the middle of this Christian sermon? What's that to do with anything? It has everything to do with God's plan. And then it cuts to somebody else watching TV, I believe uh, Ryan Wade's uh, wife at that point, just like, and then Israel won the war, and we were so glad that happened. Anyway, on with the rest of the movie. That happens! Why? Yep. yep. <laughs> this is how fucking poorly done even the Christian message in this movie is the very last line of the movie. If you watch it without subtitles, she's like, he just believed in him and that's why he succeeded. So 
without subtitles, you're like, oh, he believed in himself, and so he succeeded. If you watch the subtitles, he believed in him, and him is in all caps. Yes! <laughs> you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Was it the whole point of this character that he was turning his back on the church and want to become a pastor? Like, isn't that right. kind of the point? Right, and, and also that, like, believing right? in him is believing in being a copy of your twin brother you never knew. Yeah. Yes! Right, because it's like, oh, it's about self-actualizing, but it's like, no, it's about actualizing that you look and sound like your fucking twin brother, because clearly, also, that's what works. Twins have the exact same vocal range. That's what happens and, all the time. And everything. Right. Everything. Exactly, and they're able to, like, be perfect imitations of each other on every conceivable level. Especially, like, that becomes such a crucial oh. plot point where, oh. like, oh, you know, I'm going to become successful as a musician by Trex- imitating <laughs> Drexel. Drexel. And there's a whole... A fucking plane crash. Okay, well, wait, wait, We haven't even... <laughs> there's a whole contest that goes on about, like, Drexel imitators. Which is like, hey, yeah, you know, Elvis imitators are a thing. That makes sense. But then, that like, this contest, obviously, Ryan wins it, and it's being judged by the actual Drexel Hemsley. It's just like, that's your guy, and I'm going to leave. The only time the two characters are in the same room together. Gives him a standing O. Right. And then it's just like, oh, hey, guess what? We're going to sign you up for, like, thousands of dollars to, like, go around and tour, and everyone's going to love you. Like, he gets Beatlemania-level fucking audiences at a certain point. And for some reason, they're dressed as Jim Morrison. Like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> like, I, I just... Fucking what? this movie this is yo like it didn't break my brain like it's easy to follow what the hell they're doing but there is no logic behind any of these decisions right it didn't break the part of my brain that's able to process like this is beginning middle end of a story but it did completely break the sort of like business centric part of my brain that's like who are you appealing to who would ever want to watch this of their own volition I honestly don't know who this made, movie was made for. I, I really, I, I, I've, I haven't lost sleep over it. I'm not going to say that because fuck this movie. But who is the target audience here? Like, even if they're targeting Elvis fans or like old school 50s, 60s rockabilly music, the music is so bad. It is so bad and poorly done. And then the horrible surf movie. That they show that fucking uh, Drexel's in. I don't know. That's 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 pretty accurate to an Elvis movie, to be fair. No, I. It, it, but the music. No, right. So bad. So I'll close my eyes and I'll see your face. Like what? Is, what? I think that's something else to really talk about with like the identical is the fact that like many have tried to make an Elvis movie. Like, ever since, like, Elvis was in movies and he was such a big musician and then he died. There's been so many attempts to, like, oh, hey, let's have Kurt Russell be Elvis in a TV movie. Right, John Carpenter directed that TV movie. Let's have, um, it was John Reese davies played early Elvis. Even Baz Luhrmann is making that one fucking movie right now where it's Austin Butler as Elvis. And that's the movie that fucking Tom Hanks got COVID in Australia for. Yes. (laughs) Right. So many people are trying to, like, make, like, an Elvis movie. And I think... The Identical is obviously such a terrible move, but weirdly, I think it's perfectly fitting for what the cultural legacy of Elvis should be at this point. 
personally. Like, I grew up, like, my grandmother loved Elvis. She introduced me to all this Elvis stuff. Like, I was indoctrinated into, like, the whole, like, oh, he's the king of rock and roll kind of thing. And I think Elvis, honestly, is just more of, like, he is a very talented example of a horrible trend in music that ended up screwing over so many people of color who should have been bigger stars. Now, I, I, I agree with you on that on that level, 100%. Yeah. But I'm, I'm actually a pretty big Elvis fan. But I'm able to separate the fact, like, oh, these are good songs. He ripped off a lot of fucking people. Like, I, I get that. Even not just you like, know? oh, he did songs that were written by other people. He copied moves and all this other stuff. Exactly. Like, he's... Yeah, he fucking... Yeah, he, he stole a lot of shit. Yeah. But I think that's the thing. is that That's why, like, I think this is the more appropriate sort of Elvis movie in terms of, like, I think the sort of strain that it put on the culture and sort of the way that it... Like, an Elvis who I think is a very talented musician, but still is, like, much more of, like, an example of the wrong side of music history, ultimately. Like, it it feels like it's appropriate for that kind of cultural strain, quite frankly. <laughs> this feels like it should be the end of Elvis culture. I'm glad the I hope the identical is discovered by more people just so we end that sort of, like, idol worship bullshit of Elvis. <laughs> I think you're reaching a lot. I think you're giving this movie way more credit. I don't think it actually ended up, but I want it to be that. I want to dis- disclose it to more people, just like, fuck this king of rock bullshit. <laughs> he deserves yeah, to I mean, be in his time and place and not really progress that much forward. I, I mean, again, I'm a pretty big Elvis fan, but I, I'm also able to look at his faults and everything. To me, this is not even an Elvis movie at all. This is just some weird fan fiction played out on screen this is fucking crazy it's like a conspiracy theory that oh elvis had a twin and blah 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 but we're not gonna call him elvis because elvis is actually really real in this movie (laughs) to be fair that was like the germ of this idea is the fact that elvis was born alongside a stillborn twin that's the no, that. yeah, extent yeah. of whatever reality is just like, it turns to, I agree, a weird conspiracy theory of like, what if his twin had existed further and became a clone of Elvis, basically? But, right, exactly. But he, here's the thing, though. This movie, and I swear to God, this is a terrible film. But it would have been just an inkling better if they would have just said, fuck it and paid the money and had it be Elvis. Like, honestly. The fact that it's not Elvis and that there is a real Elvis in the universe of this movie just makes it dumbfoundingly stupid. Get weird with it. Fuck it. Who cares? He's been dead forever. He, he did terrible things. Go that route then. Fuck it. Do it. Make the cons- weird conspiracy Elvis movies. We saw it done with like Baba Hotep. Hilarious. Right. Make a conspiracy Elvis movie. Do yeah. that then. But the fact that they don't even fucking pull the trigger and make it an Elvis movie, just who is this movie for then? I mean, for no one. We firmly established no one. Yeah, there's no relevance to this film at all. Make it for the weirdos. Make it for the fucking Elvis conspiracy people. Fine, do it. Fuck it. But the fact that it's this fucking Drexel and Dexter Helmsley, which, by the way, that's the best names you could fucking come up with, like, honestly. But so you do that, and, and, and who gives a shit? Ray Liotta tapes that fucking note from the real kid's dad under his desk drawer and like why would you keep it like why would you keep that note so he finds it and the railer has like almost a breakdown another heart attack or whatever while oh my god he found it why the fuck would you keep it then like i just don't understand i don't understand i do 
this movie is insane. <laughs> it's not, like you said it really well, it's not a so bad it's good movie because it's really not. But this is a movie that I don't ever want to watch again, but I want other people to watch it so I could talk to them about it. It's it's so, it's an event you want other people to be witness to, so you don't feel like you're going insane. That you didn't feel like did someone gaslight me into believing this movie was real. Yeah, that's accurate. I because I'll I'll never watch this again, obviously. But no. I so badly want to talk to somebody else who just found this movie. Like, like you're gonna you keep checking Amazon Prime where we watch just to make sure like it didn't disappear suddenly, right? This wasn't a mirage. I had fucking refresh Letterbox so many times. To, to see if anybody else that I know watched this. It's just you, me, and Scott Johnson, basically? Yep, that's it. Oh, and Shaq. Shaq. Oh, that's true. Shaquille, yes. This movie is fucking ridiculous. Greatest thing I've ever seen. 10 out of 10. <laughs> or the, is that the extent of your final thoughts? Do you have anything else to share about the identical item? Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's, uh, it's a movie. The thing is, they couldn't even get the actual music right. Like if this if this movie had decent songs, even then it'd still be bad, but it'd be a little more tolerable. But the, even the the original songs in this movie are some of the dumbest songs I've ever heard in my life. It's a it's a terrible fucking dumpster fire of a movie. What this movie ultimately is is amongst several other like weird perplexing things like a poorly made inept movie that has like so many clear problems and wastes a lot of talent who deserved better it's also at the same time all of the more toxic elements of elvis fandom just crystallized in one movie like so much of this is while it is that we do establish that elvis exists elsewhere at the same time so much of it is also trying to smooth over the elvis image where it's like oh hey he liked black artists and he didn't rip them off intentionally because he wrote his own great music that we love um, and like all this like stuff leading up to like his big career moves and all this other things, it smooths over so much of that Elvis image in the way that like a weird toxic Elvis fanboy would. That's what it feels like so much. If anything, it's for the worst sort of fan of the exact kind of whitewashing that Elvis did without even any of the talent. That's the big thing is even without any kind of like solid dance moves or ability to sing or anything else that Elvis was actually able to do. It is just like a pure bad distillation of like ineptitude at being able to convey like, Oh, why would somebody have had any cultural legacy? Like in Elvis um, it's through the prism of this movie. It's because, Oh, he was so influential that some guy could become extremely famous by being an Elvis imitator. <laughs> and then eventually meet up with Danny Woodburn from fucking Seinfeld, who is a little person, Elvis impersonator, right. who's yeah. somehow also playing at bars after Drexel Hemley passes away. And he's the only person that treated me like a regular person. I'll never forget him for that. What the fuck? All right. I can't. I can't. <laughs> we can't go much further. So the identical. Um, It is a movie that does exist. We are not gaslighting you, everybody. And we do not necessarily recommend it, but we also kind of do. Just so we could be in the cult well, of the identical. Of I want all of you motherfuckers to watch this movie. <laughs> Just watch it. And I want you to just be mean to us that we made you watch this movie i want to feel your rage or not you know i, I don't support that i want that <laughs> want it well send your hate mail to at atom underscore or atom <laughs> uh on twitter uh but before we get into 
our next segment here. Uh, here is a message from the ESO crew that we fully endorse. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Dr. Geek here with another reminder that the ESO network is pro-science and pro-vaccine. We urge you to be a superhero and protect yourself, your family, and your fellow geeks around the world. Don't be fooled by the forces of evil and their anti-science misinformation campaign. Consult the latest CDC guidelines, your doctor, and get the COVID vaccine today. So now it is time for the double redo, where basically every week Adam and I talk about uh, a couple movies that we recommend based around our topic and a couple that we don't recommend, just so everyone out there who maybe wants to seek out more musician movies can be like, hey, how about these two that they recommend or these other two they didn't we'll avoid those so um i'll start off here with uh, first my two uh good musician movies i would recommend uh both of these are also not based on actual people are very sweet especially smaller indie movies that i want more people to see first i have hearts beat loud stars nick offerman and kiersey clemens uh who play father and daughter um in the scenario where he runs a bookstore and she's about to leave for college um at the end of the summer that the movie takes place in and nick offerman decides like you know what we've played before to get like actual music how about we form like a little band together and so they produce a couple songs and then put them out there in the ether on the internet and one of them ends up getting attached to a big spotify playlist so they end up getting some offers and stuff and nick offerman's like maybe we can like stay together as uh, do especially after his wife had recently passed before this point so it's like maybe i can keep this connection with my daughter for a bit longer but the daughter wants to move on to medical school and also has a lot of other things she's trying to progress with in her life it's a very sweet little indie movie and has a lot of charm to it nick offerman and kiersey clemens are so good together a lot of other great people like Ted danson and tony Collider in the cast it's a very cute little movie i'd recommend to anybody out there very good feel good movie and the songs are legitimately quite good as well Speaking of which, I also have Beyond the Lights, which is a movie that came out in 2014, same year as our beloved Identical. Uh, but this one um, mainly follows a uh, pop star who, at the start of the movie, is um, in sort of a suicidal state and is potentially wanting to kill herself when she is saved by a cop who ends up being her bodyguard at a concert. And the two of them form a connection after that point and they start trying to grow sort of a relationship but uh they are strained by just the fact that you know they are from two very different worlds and one is trying to progress in the police force the other one is trying to progress as a pop star and they feel like maybe we aren't going to be able to make this work it's a really intimate little uh, romantic drama that i think got really undersung it's from gina prince blythe which also did uh, love and basketball i think is a very underrated director and the performance is from uh the pop star is played by uh gugu mabathara who is stellar and I think this is such a great job, especially being a pop star and conveying a lot of that image. And she has a great relationship with Minnie Driver, who plays her mother. And I will say the biggest sort of asterisk on this movie is uh, the main love interest is played by Nate Parker, who has a very unfortunate history. I'm not necessarily condoning that man and his uh, past, uh, but I think he is quite good with uh, Gugu Mbatha-Ra. I think they share an interesting chemistry. And I think that movie deserves a lot more attention. It's a little stellar, like I said, underrated romantic drama. But for my two bad ones, I'll just uh, briefly go through. The first one I have is The Soloist, which was um, a movie uh, that featured uh, Jamie Foxx as this uh, homeless person who, um, as it turns out, was a former violinist that had a tragic past. And he ends up getting influenced to pick back up 
his violinist tendencies from Robert Downey Jr. One of the few non-Iron Man movies he's done over the past, like, 15 years is this weird movie that is so pandering and so schmaltzy in a way that's extremely disappointing. And from a great director like Joe Wright, who has also done, like, Hannah, which we talked about on the show, a lot of other great movies, that is just, like, such a typical Hollywood sap fest that even when I first saw this when I was younger, I was just like, this is, like, so pandering and dumb. Like, the exact opposite of what I would want to have a musician movie. It doesn't even convey the music that well. Speaking of which, the other bad one I have is Yesterday, which is the Danny Boyle film that came out a couple of years ago. And if you don't know, is another high-concept premise where um, the main lead is this guy who is not a successful musician, but is always, like, next to his... Uh, sort of manager, uh, played by Lily James, who is also kind of like this girl who's been pining for him, even though he's a terrible musician. None of the songs he even plays are that good. Um, but he ends up getting hit by a uh, bus at one point, and in this weird, magical, vague conceit, he ends up being the one guy on Earth who remembers that the Beatles existed. Everyone else, when he plays like Yesterday, everyone's like, well, that's such a great song, did you write that on your own? It is such a weird, magical realism premise that doesn't take advantage of that concept whatsoever, doesn't really put into any kind of logical thinking about like what a world without the Beatles' influence would be, when like people like Ed Sheeran, who plays himself and Coldplay, still exists. doesn't make any fucking sense. But that wouldn't be a problem if it also wasn't just like such a very poor attempt at like a romantic kind of like back and forth but like Lily James is one of my favorite actresses working right now and she's very much wasted especially considering like I think Himesh Patel is a solid actor who plays the lead but they have no chemistry together and so much of like Lily James's devotion to this dude is so astonishing which is like he seems like a fucking asshole who I don't get why you have any like connection with him whatsoever and it's definitely Danny Boyle's worst movie he doesn't even have much of his visual flourishes and stuff it is a puzzling dumb movie that I would recommend everyone avoid. Well, I can honestly tell you, I have not seen any of those. Uh, I'm aware of all four. I avoided yesterday pretty much right away. I, I thought the concept was uh, ridiculous. And even watching the trailers when it came out, it just looked sterile and, and just dumb. But I was interested in the Nick Offerman one. Um, I remember seeing the trailer for it and thinking it looked very sweet and heartfelt. So maybe that's one else I'll, I'll definitely seek out for sure. Well, Adam, what are your choices yourself? Okay, so for my good choices, what I have is a Coen Brothers movie. And there's a lot of music in it, and it is where the soggy bottom boys come from. I have Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which is one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. Uh, also, one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies, and also, I'd argue, the best George Clooney's ever been. I, I think Or Brother Where Art Thou is just a fantastic movie. Super fun, super just sweet, great music, great cinematography, and it's based on, you know, The Odyssey, which is uh, something, if you're going to base something on, uh, a pretty good launch point. And then my other one is a movie that I know it's very divisive, but I think the the original score... Uh, is hilarious and i think it's really well done i have oh man this one's gonna be rough i have tenacious d in the pick of destiny i think the score alone sells this movie Uh, i think it's super funny a lot of really funny cameos tim robbins in this movie his cameo is just fantastic and i'm typically not a huge tim robbins guy but man does he crack me up in this movie I wouldn't go as far as say it's a great movie, but I smile and laugh every time I watch it. I think it's super fun. And then for my bad, real quick, 
I have two movies that are based on actually real people. I have uh, the aforementioned Great Balls of Fire with Dennis Quaid. Not only because I hate Dennis Quaid, but I also hate Jerry Lee Lewis. He was a sick, perverted man. And uh, the fact of the matter is that he gets a whole biopic. Yeah, I, I, no, I'm good. I'm good on it. I could pass. Uh, to me, the no, I don't. I don't need to see uh, pederasty and pedophilia in a film and uh, almost have it celebrated uh, because uh, he's can he could play the piano and get the fuck out of here with this. And then um, my other one was just I saw the light with Tom Hiddleston. Now, Tom Hiddleston, I really like. I like a lot of Hank Williams music. Hank Williams is also a very problematic person. And this is just a dull, dull movie. Uh, you made the comment before uh, about, you know, like Ray and Walk the Line. And you'd already seen it done in uh, Walk Hard. So why would they keep doing it? Well, here's another one that would really fall in line with that. Like, why would you even make this? Uh, it's just a dull, boring movie. Tom Hiddleston is really good in it, but compared to a trash can, like it's just it's not. Nah, I'm good on that. Uh, yeah, I have seen at least uh, most of your movies. I think um, obviously, Oh Brother Warth, I agree, great movie, uh, phenomenal, and very influential, especially with that soundtrack was so surprisingly a massive hit in 2000 which is such a weird thing <laughs> but it kind of uh, started off what would later become like mumford and sons like kind of weird uh new wave of rockabilly of sorts that came about southern gothic southern yeah. gothic rock of sorts yeah right that's the more traditional term um also by the way uh ethan cohen if you're somehow listening uh don't give up on movies please <laughs> yeah, apparently please. For God don't sakes, please no don't no i know joel's don't doing Macbeth, and that looks pretty cool but come on keep keep going <laughs> please don't just become a playwright <laughs> I need you, buddy. We we need you for sure. Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny is a movie I remember really liking when I was younger. But it's been one of those movies where I liked it so much that I am desperately avoiding revisiting because I know it's going to be a massive disappointment. The music still slaps in it, though, dude. No, I, 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 no I, I love like the opening, the Kickapoo thing, I think is right. I love Tenacious D in general, and Jack Black, I think, is a lot of fun. But Tenacious D as a movie, like, that soundtrack is so stellar. I've listened to that soundtrack many times, so I'm like, I'll revisit the movie eventually, but I have to be prepared to sit down right. and potentially be disappointed. Um, I haven't seen I Saw the Light. I heard that was one of those movies where I was interested and curious because, like, oh, the guy who's Loki. That sounds kind of interesting. And, uh, yeah, didn't end up being that, apparently. Um, but Great Balls of Fire, I also remember seeing as a kid, and was one of those movies where I was instantly sort of aware of, like, how bad, especially, like, attempting to play younger, older people were. Because I'm just like, oh, they're supposed to be, like, 14? Like, especially, when Owner Ryder looked very young at that time, but she's like, she's, what? She's not 14. No, yeah, not at all. <laughs> she's a grown-ass woman. Dennis Quaid is not, like, 22. No, not at all. No, no, no. So even removing the horrible implications that I agree make me not necessarily a fan of Mr. Lewis. Um, it's also just like such a poorly put together <laughs> movie. It, it feels it is the fodder for like what would later be with uh, Walk Hard, where fucking forty year old John C. Riley's like, I'm a teenager, and Kristen Wiig is just like, I'm Dewey's twelve year old girlfriend. <laughs> yep. It's so what that movie's parodying, right there. Uh, but. That is the end of our double redo, uh, but we want to uh, recommend one. You all submit your uh, suggestions for a double redo if you have any uh, to our various different forms of feedback, which we'll talk about in a bit. 
But we also want to thank some people. I want to thank Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thorlally for the art he produced for our show, our lovely logo. Follow him at Night of Water. That's night with a K, uh, underscore of, underscore water, for all his great work. And of course, thanks to our loyal Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash dedpod, where, as I mentioned at the start of the show, for $1 a month, you all get to vote for certain movies we cover, like, of course, Desperado. That was uh, the choice of all you edgelord patrons, as we like to call you. Um, but also, you get to listen to bonus podcasts, like Around the Time This Is Up. We would have released On the Edge of Relevance, the latest episode, where we ca- talk about more modern movies and spoilery detail. Um, and we talked about The Suicide Squad, uh, which we had a very lengthy discussion about that you can hear right now uh, with a spoiler demarcation point. And everything um we were pretty effusive about that one adam that's true and i just want to say uh to piggyback off the patreon thing uh r.a.p tory <laughs> tory is still very much alive but that's a bit of an inside joke we should become a patron and find out what that joke is referencing we also want to encourage uh, you to find us on twitter and facebook at dedpod where we share uh, a bunch of like small you know, things about the show and the movies we cover, and also uh, you'll hear any announcements that we might have about the show and maybe if there are any delays or anything like that. Uh, also, submit feedback to us at doubleedgedoubleville at gmail.com, all spelled out. And you know, if you can't support us on the Patreon for just the $1 a month, it would really help out if you were to uh, buy some merchandise over at the ESO T Public Store, link in the description. We get a bit of a kickback if you buy, say, a mug or a t-shirt or a laptop case, anything like that with our lovely logo on it um it, it would really help us out adam if they were to do uh what exactly buy our merch man buy our merch baby oh exactly yes. oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and if you want to find more of our individual antics i'm on twitter instagram and letterbox as at not the who's tomming um or i put up my own uh, individual musings and such i also do some writing at both film dash cred dot com um and marianithomas.wordpress.com where uh, it's been a bit slower over there for reviews until very recently i did write a non-spoilery review of the suicide squad which if you're interested in reading some non-spoilery thoughts go ahead and read that and then maybe become a patron to hear spoilery thoughts who knows yeah why not just fucking do it uh you could find me on twitter and instagram at atom or adam that's a-t-o-m underscore or underscore a-d-a-m and you can find me on letterboxd at schwanson that's s-c-h-w-a-n-d-t-s-o-n and uh, for more of the the podcast uh please make sure to subscribe uh, via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on the ESO Network, why not listen to all the other great shows on there? Or if you want to, you know, get through our archives on ESO and you're like, hmm, there's more shows before this? Yes, there is over on our Podbean main feed. Just search us up on Podbean and you will find uh, the first, like, 70 or so episodes we did before we even joined ESO. And if nothing else, if you can't buy the merch or you can't support us on the Patreon for the $1, the completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or share the show around on whatever platform you're listening to and on, because that helps us get more visibility. The algorithm really supports that kind of help. Yeah, and I mean, look, if you're listening to this show and you got to chuckle, just fucking share it, okay? Like, it's just, it's so easy. And you have no idea how much it helps us. Like, just, I mean, fucking come on, man. 
we don't want to disappear into obscurity like the identical guys. Although, I might want to with that sort of reputation. <laughs> if we if we get to identical levels, maybe. Who knows? But, on that note, Adam, it's time to do our picking for next week's episode. Uh, uh, which, uh, yes, we do have at the end of every episode. Uh, Adam and I each have either two good or two bad movies. We switch off on the quality. Um, and we pick, you know, uh, these movies and we sign numbers between 1 and 10 for them. And uh, when we do that, the other person picks them between 1 and 10. And that gets us uh, close to the good and the bad feature we cover for the following week's episode. Though keep in mind, there is this thing called The Godfather Rule, where Adam and I still have a veto in our back pocket. One single veto we can use if we uh, end up getting a choice. The other person says, like, hey, this is the choice of this number, um, blah, 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 blah. We then ask, hey, other person who picked the number, do you want to take the cannoli? And that person could potentially use their veto and make sure that choice is stricken from the record and we don't cover it on the next episode. But whatever the other choice is, we have to do for the good or uh, bad pick. Yes, that is correct. So you have the good this week, Thomas. I do, and you have the bad this week by process of elimination. And what is our topic? Well, our topic for next time in honor of Reminiscence is coming out, the uh, Hugh Jackman high-concept cerebral sci-fi film. We're covering uh, cerebral sci-fi movies. Uh, so basically movies that um, have a lot of like sci-fi elements like robots or whatever, but also make you really question the nature of humanity through the, the sci-fi prism. Yes, and for your good picks, I will choose number six. Okay. Solid choice. At number seven, I had a movie. We've talked around on the show a lot, but we've never ended up doing. Um, as of yet, we might still do it. Who knows? I have the 2015 film Ex Machina. Okay. I am not taking the cannoli. <laughs> I am absolutely 100% on board with that one. That is a great hmm. film. Though, at number two... I also have another film that I think is pretty great. Um, an earlier film from about 20 years prior. I have a Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys. Ooh, damn. That's a good one, too. Good call. Look at you. Who's the big winner tonight? You. Well, I think I'm going to be the loser, depending on which bad choice oh. I get here, Adam. When I pick a number between 1 and 10, I'm going to go ahead and go for number 4. Okay, at number three, I have a movie I have not seen, but I've heard is terrible. I have the ScarJo starring Lucy. Mm. Do you want to take the cannoli? I have seen Lucy. I don't like it very much. But any point to bash Luke Besson is a point I'm not opposed to doing. So I will not be taking the cannoli on that. Okay, and then at the other choice, I had the Total Recall remake. I've not seen that one. I've heard very bad things yeah. about that as well. Yeah, well, you're not missing anything. <laughs> okay. This is interesting, though. So Lucy and Ex Machina, very similar films from very close in time, because that one was 2014 Lucy and 2015 for Ex Machina. And also uh, uh, female-led. That's true. Yes. What? We'll get into all of that next time, everybody. But until then... Just make sure to look out there and see if you can find your identical twin who might be some kind of big rock star. They might be look out, man. <laughs> Say oh. what?
City lights. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.